Welcome to the Real News Network Live. I'm Paul Jay, and this is Reality Asserts Itself. This is a part of a series I, I, I'm doing with Thomas Frank, uh, the author, and part one is up on our website. Uh, part two, this is kind of new for us, part two is live, and part of the reason it's live is because there's a new book out uh, by Hillary Clinton called What Happened, and we're going to talk about a little bit of that book. There's a couple of pages. Some of the media outlets got hold of the book, and they focused on one or two things. And one of the main things they focused on is, in a couple of pages, Hillary Clinton goes after Bernie Sanders and more or less makes Sanders one of the culprits in her loss. Um, she says various things, uh, one of which is that by uh, attacking her on her Goldman Sachs speeches and such, um, he implied that she was for hire. Uh, these are my words, not hers, but that's more or less what she's saying, that she would change her votes on financial regulation and, sus and such uh, based on her relationship with Wall Street. Uh, this somehow in her, uh, in her argument set up the conditions for being called uh, Crooked Hillary. We're going to talk about all that with Thomas Frank. Uh, but I, I would say her main thesis of her, of her critique of Sanders, and this is the, you could say, I think the critique of her and the whole corporate Democrats of the Sanders-esque wing of the party, which is they are pie in the sky, they, they promise things that can never be delivered, um, the, it's the kind of programs they're suggesting could never be financed. Uh, so on the, on the one hand, she says that, but then she also says we actually agree on basic policy objectives. So here's a quote from, one of the, from that page. She says, because we agreed on so much, Bernie couldn't make an argument against me in this area on policy. So he had to resort to innuendo and impugning my character. So we're going to talk about just, just the substance of that. Uh, is there real, were there real and are there real policy differences between Sanders and Hillary Clinton? And we'll talk a bit about the whole idea of this book. Uh, and we're doing so with Thomas Frank, who now joins me in the studio. Thanks for joining me again. You got it, Paul. I'm glad to be here. So one more time, Thomas is a political analyst, a historian. He writes for The Guardian. And his books include What's the Matter with Kansas and most recently Listen Liberal. So before we get into the substance of this thing about is there real policy differences or is it just a degree of, of what you're asking for, which is kind of her main argument, um, why, why on earth does she make this critique of Sanders at this time? What, how does wow. she benefit from this? I mean, who knows? This is, a, you know, this is a mystery to me. Now, I haven't seen the, the book yet. I actually went around to bookstores yesterday all over Washington trying to get it and... Um, no dice. I, I, and I'm, you know, very much looking forward to reading the whole thing. And all, so all we've seen are this handful of pages that were uh, leaked by various people who somehow did get a copy of it, an advanced Apparently there's one bookstore somewhere that was willing to sell it before <laughs> yeah. the release date in some yeah. of the media organizations. I wonder where that is. I want to go to that place. You know, I want to, I want to get a copy of it. Anyhow, so we don't know. Maybe the rest of the book is really um, uh, uh, gracious and charming and and wonderful and all that. But this stuff about, about Bernie Sanders certainly seems peevish. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like um, uh, uh, this, is, this is a, she's a sore winner. <laughs> you know? Well, here, here's, here's a little bit more of her main argument. Uh, she, she, she quotes uh, uh, something that appeared in somebody's Facebook feed that sort of characterizes what she said was uh, Sanders' policy proposal. So this is, her, this is about a pony. 
Uh, here we go. So this is a quote from the book, as far as we can understand it. So, someone sent me a Facebook post, writes Hillary Clinton, that summed up the dynamic in which we were caught, meaning her relationship with Sanders. Bernie, I think America should get a pony. Hillary, how will you pay for the pony? Where will the pony come from? How will you get Congress to agree to the pony? Bernie, Hillary thinks America doesn't deserve a pony. Bernie supporters, Hillary hates ponies. Hillary, actually, I love ponies. Bernie supporters, she changed her positions on ponies. And then there's a hashtag, which Hillary, which Hillary, meaning she, on, oh, on ponies. Uh, the headline, Hillary refuses to give every American a pony, <laughs> debate moderator. <laughs> Hillary, how do you feel when people say you lie about ponies? So this is the same argument the Washington Post and so many others were making about Bernie Sanders at the time is that, you know, of course, that his proposals were unrealistic. Now, I, sh I you know, the Washington Post is, um, is technically nonpartisan, but uh, in England, I was over in England for the debate for the uh, election over there. You know, they had the snap parliamentary election uh, a couple months back. This was the argument that the Tories used against uh, Jeremy Corbyn that it was, you know, his policies were completely unrealistic and there was no possible way you could pay for it. And Corbyn would be like, well, here's the math. <laughs> you know, we worked it all out. And they'd be like, no, that's impossible. That's just a, that's just a, a, a dream. Ha, 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 ponies. It's, uh, you know, look, this is, <laughs> this is what parties of the left do, is they come up with these objectives and they figure out how to uh, organize uh, the economy and the uh, political system to make them possible. That's that's what you're supposed to be doing and there's as a party of the left. Now, Hillary, I mean, uh, yeah, she's taking the Theresa May kind of approach here. Uh, you know, th this seems really um, ungracious of her, you know, because uh, at one point she was the one who was on the receiving end of this exact kind of criticism back in the 90s when well, she was trying to reorganize the healthcare system, remember? long time ago. Well, I think what this is a shot across the bow is that the corporate Democrats are going to go to war with the Sanders wing of the party as we get closer to 2018, but particularly 2020. And they're not just going to war with the Sanders wing. This is with their own past. This is the New Deal. I mean, remember, the thing about Sanders' program and what Sanders was promising is it's not pie in the sky. It's deep in the Democratic Party tradition. Sanders is basically reviving, you know, where the, picking up where the New Deal left off in like the late 1940s. You know, he's got Harry Truman's health care plan, you know. He's got, he's got some other things like right out of the Democratic platform from 1948. This was sort of one of the things that was most charming about him is that he was reviving um, uh, you know, elements of, the, of, of what the Democratic Party used to be. And here's the modern Democratic Party saying, oh, no, 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 that stuff is all pie-in-the-sky nonsense. Well, the thing is That's it's, very telling, I think. It's pie-in-the-sky from their point of view, their being corporate Democrats. I, I would, from what I can understand, two reasons. It's not affordable. The reason it's not affordable is because American public opinion would never support something like this. Yeah, yeah. But, but according to that worldview, Bernie Sanders never contends for the nomination of the Democratic Party. That would never be possible. Right. Impo so, yeah, no, so it's, it's impossible because of public opinion, but, uh, you know, let's not let public opinion actually have a say on this <laughs> because something terrible might happen. And, oh, no, it happened. <laughs> yeah. so, it's so, very confusing and circular. And, 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 and it's like a dog chasing its tail. But I, um, I, I can't help but wonder why Hillary Clinton would do this. I think, you know, what's I, the, I think they are going to, they do not want a Sanders-esque candidacy, candidacy in 2020. And whether it's Hillary tries again, I don't know. But 
Well, you can't after after saying something like that because. Uh, but, but they want they want they I think they want to mobilize the party against this and split if they can the Sanders wing of the party. They don't want to do this again. Because let, let me let me just give you a, a a really brief summary of the way I saw the primary contest. Yes, it did get bitter, especially towards the end when the Sanders supporters. Uh, thought that the Democratic National Committee was cheating against them, and the, the funny thing is, he turned out to be right about that. Um, I think I still think Hillary won fair and square, but yeah, the Democratic National, the DNC was cheating against um, Sanders. Now that said, once Sanders was beaten, uh, he he campaigned for Hillary. He was a good soldier about it. He wasn't Ralph Nader. You know, he didn't uh, go out and run as a third-party candidate. He wasn't Pat Buchanan. You know, he didn't do any of that. <coughs> and she, he, in the book, he, he played it straight. Now, when, you, when someone does that, that. Yeah. when someone does that, and then you treat him like this, that's really bad. That's that's uh, that's that's not that's not that doesn't befit a leader. You know what I mean? Well, in spite of, uh, and I've uh, I've seen some sections of the book, both in the sample from Amazon and uh, and uh, some of the other quotes, she supposedly takes full responsibility for the loss, but then she then still goes on to blame all kinds yeah. of external reasons yeah. for it. Uh, so I think one, she wants to still well, yeah, pin this on Sanders <laughs> as much as she can, but I think, as I said, Isn't I think she, I think she's Isn't trying to get people ready to have a, this this next stage of what I've been calling the civil war in the Democratic Party. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely certain you're right about that. The, I mean, the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party, this is the dominant faction. We talked about this the other day. I don't know if that segment has aired yet, but these guys are not just going to give up, um, you know, just because they were defeated. No, they, I mean, they're, they're in politics for a reason, and they, they do not intend to just quit. Well, let, let's go through her, her main thesis, which is they have the same basic policy objectives, uh, Bernie overpromises on the same thing she wants, and his overpromises are not achievable. But she goes back to this idea, and she did this during the debates too. That, you know, we really want the same things. Yeah. So do they? So, so what are some of the thing, yeah. key policy points that might that either they do have in common or they differentiate? I mean, I, I can see why she says that, uh, right? Because they're both uh, running for the Democratic uh, uh, nomination, and you know, and and they are very similar in all sorts of ways. But there were there were a lot of um, important uh, distinctions between these two candidates. I mean, let's not let's not forget. I mean, remember Bernie wanted to break up the banks real bad. Yeah. Hillary mm, made fun of that. Hillary poo pooed that idea. They, you know, thought that was that was pretty silly. Pretty silly. Uh, Bernie wanted universal health care. Hillary not so much. Well, not quite significantly. Didn't. Yeah. I mean, she wanted to you know reform the Affordable Health Care Act, yeah. but the essence of the difference in, in, in a single payer Medicare for all system, you're closing down private insurance right, companies. Right, right. Or, or you're, big, you're, you're making difference. them much smaller. You're, you're uh, you know, they would be, it, it would be a different system. Yeah, that's, that is, it's a huge difference. Uh, another was uh, uh, the uh, Bernie wanted free college education at state universities. I don't recall Hillary offering anything like that. I mean, these were real, they, they, they were real differences. wage. Uh, yeah, the trade. Oh, my God. This was a huge uh, separation between them. And not least because Hillary had reversed herself so dramatically on the trade issue that it was uh, it was hard for voters to take her seriously. Trade, remember, we, we talked about this uh, last week when I was up here. Uh, trade really hurt Hillary Clinton in this uh, in this election. Now, um, 
a lot of that is her own fault because over the years she, you know, it was her husband that, that got NAFTA. Well, you can't blame her for her husband's deeds, but she supported Bill Clinton on NAFTA and on many other free trade agreements and, and had, uh, had a, as Secretary of State, had had a hand in negotiating the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was really dragging her down. Now, she tried and tried and tried to get out of that during the uh, campaign, but uh, nobody believed her. And that's not Bernie Sanders' fault. I mean, that's, and to a large degree, that's Barack Obama's fault. Because while all of this is going on, Barack Obama is saying, we're going to get the Trans-Pacific, remember this? We're going to get the Trans-Pacific Partnership done. While the campaign is going on, and while first Bernie and then Trump are hammering her for this every single day. And she's trying to get out of it, you know. Uh, that was really bad. L let me give... What, what I, I would say the most generous interpretation of how she and, and her political stratum see this. Yeah, and uh, I didn't even get into foreign policy. Well, you I was know? about to say... I'm sure uh, you're going to want to go there. Well, yeah. I usually do. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the Iraq war vote. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some very substantial differences on foreign policy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, they seem to... Uh, and you mentioned this in the, in the previous interview. The, the corporate Democrats kind of hate this left. Yeah. Because what they, they see themselves as the managers of this system, as we talked about in the last episode, yeah. that, that they manage it as much as is possible within this system in a way that helps and benefits the working class in their own minds. Yeah. You can't do more. <coughs> because they're symbolic stuff, right? Well, uh, because they, they're yeah. dealing with the, the far right, mm -hmm. which is so strong that if they're not there to defend you know, liberal values, yeah. the far right takes over and crushes it all. Yes, yeah, so, so they're, they're like, see, they're like so the they, grown-ups in the parties. Yeah, the way and they, they see, see the Sanders, so they make the hard choices, which is you have to make compromises because they make you look bad, but you make them because they're hard. Yeah. And the Sanders-type people, Men by over-promising, <laughs> make you look, you have to fight your left yeah. flank when you really should just be fighting your right flank. Yeah. I, I, it was, I, I'm guessing so that's they, how they see it. it, it it's a, um, you, you've raised a, a bunch of really important issues, but Historically speaking, the, the Clinton faction of the Democratic Party has an enormous contempt for the left. You know, Hillary could have solved you know, all of the problems that she identifies in her book by making Sanders her VP choice. Boom, problem solved. Why didn't she do that? Because one of the rules of the Clinton faction is you don't give them anything. Uh, they get symbolic stuff and that's it. You take, take down the Confederate flag or whatever, you know, or uh, various other things. That's what the left wing of the party gets. They do not get power. They don't get to have the VP choice. One of the sort of uh, fun, you know, foundational, well, this, is, this is, you go back and look at the documents of the Democratic Leadership Council, which is the, the faction, this is, they're the ones who sort of started the Clinton faction. Bill Clinton was their leader. Hillary comes up through that faction as well, Al Gore, all these guys. And uh, when, you know, and they were utterly contemptuous of the left. Uh, I mean, they, it was actually kind of fun, the stuff. They were so mean uh, towards the left wing of the Democratic Party. This is back in the, in the 80s and the 1990s. And when Clinton was the nominee, it, before Clinton, it had always been the tradition that the, that the two wings of the party would unite after the, you know, the primaries are done. And uh, you would choose somebody from the other faction of the party. Uh, you know, Carter chose Mondale and so on. <clears throat> and um, uh, Bill Clinton didn't do that. He chose Al Gore. He chose another DLC guy. And this was regarded as, you know, you know just snubbing uh, the left wing of the party. They have, you know, they have nothing to recommend them. They have nothing to really to stand up for there. They, what, they, what they deserve to, to, to do is to 
you, you know, what they deserve is, is, is nothing. And uh, Hillary does exactly the same thing. Uh, chooses Tim Kaine as, as her running mate, a, a moderate uh, former governor uh, of Virginia, senator from Virginia. You know, not a bad guy, but certainly not, she's making no effort to unite the two wings of the party. Uh, and that's just, I mean, that's just the, the most uh, in-your-face example. I mean, the, you look at the rhetoric, uh, a guy like Rahm Emanuel, the things he, he says about uh, the liberal wing of the Democratic Party. They, they, look, the, uh, the, the sort of leadership faction of the Democratic Party despises the liberal wing of the Democratic Party. Especially despises the them. way Sanders went after them, because Sanders well, did it. They, they can't see it, any situation in, uh, under which they should be obliged to answer to these people. And Sanders used language that had not been used in a long time in, in mainstream American True, politics. True, but he was not mean to Hillary. This is, no, I think Hillary all, but, makes but, a mistake here. I thought Sanders was uh, gracious about, for I, example, the email scandal, yeah. where he, this is something where he, he could have ridden that a lot harder than he uh, than he did, and he chose not to. And if you talk about Sanders' own blunders, why Sanders didn't win, you know, because he had a shot too. Uh, you know, that's certainly one of them. Is that he wasn't anywhere near as mean uh, and as uh, you know, didn't attack Hillary Clinton with anywhere near the sort of uh, savagery and brutality that it would take to actually win the nomination. I don't know. I thought that was kind of admirable of him. You know, that's a, that's the kind of guy I, I admire. Bernie Sanders in a lot of ways, and that's one of them. Uh, she she critiques him for the uh, you know focusing on the Wall Street connection and setting up the conditions for the yeah, crooked that's Hillary totally, campaign. That's totally legit, but, especially after a financial think, crisis like we just had. You well, know, especially given that's, all her relationships with Goldman Sachs. Yeah. But but I think he did something more that she doesn't want to say. But I think it, if there's anything in some ways help Trump. Uh, indirectly by using the language billionaire class and oligarchy during the primary mm -hmm. yeah. and by implication Hillary is the candidate of the oligarchy which in fact she was um, it sets up a, a populist campaign that can then try to talk to workers because yeah. she's Wall Street, of course, she's that's, oligarchy. That's the thing is but language. it's the truth. <laughs> you know uh, in presidential campaigns people try to win <laughs> you know, and they, they all have we'll an figure, equal right, right to win. Bernie has a right to try hard and win. Hillary has a right to try hard and win. And they both try everything in their, in their bag of tricks. And they, you know, they're <coughs> neither one is guaranteed the nomination going into it. It is a, it is a fight. Well, you know, just as it has been in every Democratic race, with a few exceptions, in the course of my lifetime. It's a wide open contest out there, you know. I wonder what Martin O'Malley thinks about all this, by the way. <laughs> Martin who? And I'm in Maryland when I say that. I know, that. and we're here in Baltimore, right? We're here in his hometown. Well, yeah, people in Baltimore got a lot to say about Martin O'Malley, but that's yeah. for another day. All right, here, here's, here's another quote from the book. Uh, this is about uh, Bernie not being a loyal member of the Democratic Party, which, in fact, he never said he was. Anyway, he writes, uh, she writes, but he isn't a Democrat. That's not a smear, that's what he says. Uh, he didn't get into the race to make sure a Democrat won the White House. He got in to disrupt the Democratic Party. Well, there's truth to that, because Bernie Sanders, and I interviewed him, and he said this out and out, and he said it in other oh, times. very critical of the Democrats, no doubt. The, Demo the, the control of the Democratic Party has been in the hands of what he called the oligarchy, the billionaire class. Yes. So if you're going, why would, you know, what's wrong with going in and disrupting that? Well, but I, no, that's, I, th I think that's incorrect because he did go and campaign for Hillary. He was at the Democratic convention. He clearly wanted Hillary to, to defeat Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, you but, know, he's not but happy she's talking about, about the primary. 
that he tried to beat her. Well, well hell that, yes. I mean, that that's his campaign the, was that's the whole idea. Yeah. But, but, but remember the alternatives that were open to Bernie Sanders? And it just seems so silly to have to rehash all this. But uh, he was, so when I interviewed Bernie Sanders, it was 2000 and either 13 or 14. I forget now. I think it was 14. And the question was, at the time, would Sanders run as a Democrat or would Sanders run as an independent? Would he do like Ralph Nader did? Now, Ralph Nader, there's a guy who's out to disrupt <laughs> the system, you know. And Sanders deliberately chose not to follow that path and to run within the Democratic Party and to run, you know, to, to, to run as a Democrat. He deliberately chose not to go down uh, the Ralph Nader route. By the way, we but, don't but know what does Hillary real, have to say about that about that guy, you know. <laughs> but but there was a real fight in the Democratic Party in the in the, in the primary. Uh, you know, she, those she fights are totally it. totally legitimate. They but always that, do this every four years. They yeah, do this. There's nothing wrong with that. Record, not according to her, they're not legitimate. <laughs> You know, that's what democracy is. Democracy is messy stuff, man. You look at, you know... A loyal Democrat would have just kissed the ring, is right, what she said. Right, right. But I think you look back to 1992, which is the formative year for the Clintons, when Bill Clinton was running. I forget how many uh, candidates there were that year, but there was a lot. And it was by no means settled that Bill Clinton would, uh, would simply be the nominee and everybody had to bow down. The only year... Uh, in recent memory, when that was the case, where you didn't have a challenge, was uh, Obama in 2012, where there, there, he had no challenge in the Democratic primaries at all, um, and you know. But that's he was an incumbent president. Hillary's not. But but I, I'm here giving her argument, not that I agree with it. But yeah, yeah. But her argument is he's not playing fair because a loyal Democrat stays with what Obama once called the 40-yard lines. Yeah, and by by promising what are unrealizable things like health care for all, which I don't understand is why it's realized. I mean, Sanders and everybody made this argument. It's it's realizable in Canada and Europe and all kinds of places. Yeah, but, but not here. But yeah. not here. <laughs> but by doing that, uh, he he wasn't a loyal Democrat because if he was a real loyal Democrat, so he wouldn't have fought he, her like I that. I see. So so the idea is that he raised issues that are unacceptable. Well, I have never heard that one before. I thought, I thought all's fair in politics. You can raise any issue you feel like. Uh, you know, and come at it in, from any direction that you want. Well, I think she, she's grasping for uh, for for but, a fall, but certain a fall issues. Guy so, but that's here. that is a fascinating idea that certain issues are simply off the table because the machinery of our politics says they are. And when you say once you say that, you know, you're not talking about democracy anymore. You're talking about something else, where you know all sorts of uh, issues simply cannot be permitted because this corporation called the Democratic Party. Uh, those are those are impermissible within its, and uh, okay, forget all that. Bernie Sanders is in some ways more loyal to the Democratic tradition than she is. Remember, we talked about this last time that he, in in some ways, this is why they despise him, because he harkens back to that lost New Deal past that the Bill Clinton and company uh, turned away from in 1992. And it actually goes back earlier than Bill Clinton. Jimmy Carter did a lot of the turning. Michael Dukakis, certainly. Uh, but Bill Clinton is the one who really put the nails in the coffin of the New Deal order. And as we said in the segment that's, that's on the website now, <coughs> most of Bill Clinton's legislative achievements, I think you went through five major, yeah, they're all Republican. were actually Republican yeah, agenda. every single one of them. And, uh, but, this is, but this was, by the way, uh, Clinton, Bill Clinton's war on the New Deal, this is very famous. If you go back and read the literature of Clinton at the time, 
That's why his admirers admired him, because he supposedly had put an end to the New Deal order, the New Deal coalition, all of this stuff that had been inherited and was so, supposed to be so creaking and dusty and old. And he was making, he was doing away with that. The new, new Democrats were now something new. They believed in new ideas, you know, the uh, uh, globalization, the information age. Privatization. Yeah, all, all of that stuff, right? The balanced reform, budget, yeah. yeah, welfare reform, yeah, mass incarceration, new, the, the a banking agenda. regulation, yes, uh, NAFTA, all of these things. It was a new dawn. It was a new Democratic Party. And what one of the things that's fascinating about Sanders is that he openly harkens back to uh, the Democratic Party from before that period. You know, he is a Rooseveltian. He says so. And one of the things he challenged her in the debate, which, you know, this does not lead to Trump being able to call her crooked Hillary. It, it would have led for her to say, make a, a demarcation with the old style politics. He said, just promise no Wall Street uh, guys on your uh, finance team, huh, yeah. and she wouldn't. She wouldn't do that. <laughs> so this isn't calling Trump said is, that. No, no, Sanders, Sanders said that. Okay, says that. That's highly ironic if oh, Trump said no, no, that. No, no, that. Well, yeah. he, he implied. But he, Trump, Trump would yeah. say anything. I mean, yeah, that guy. Trump remember, he and, and, and during the convention, they they promised to bring back uh, Glass Steagall. Do you remember that? The Republicans. It's like what? <laughs> you know, oh, you it, was some... a, it was a, a naked pitch for the you know the Bernie Sanders voters without with 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 zero uh, you know feeling or or meaning behind it. You know, they're just like, yeah, we'll throw that out there, whatever. Uh, but the crooked Hillary, very. I was at the Republican convention when they started. I guess he was calling her the, that before then, but clearly referred to the emails. That's what that's what he was getting at there. Yeah, she, she's saying Sanders campaign campaign made her vulnerable. Yeah. But she's vulnerable Sanders, because of Sanders, who she uh, was Sanders and what she did. To, yeah, Sanders declined to go after her for that. For the, on the emails, yeah, yeah, right, of course. Right, right. Okay, I got some social media questions here. Uh, Jan uh, from Facebook says, if the DNC was cheating, uh, why do you say she won fair and square? Well, it's a paradox, of course. They, uh, she, she did win enough primaries to get the to get the nomination, but, but they were they did have their thumb on the scale at the same time. Yeah, because there's some suggestions, even in some of the critical primaries. Yeah, uh, some of the voting lists no, weren't she, quite I, kosher. She, look, she, uh, uh, both things are both things are true. Uh, they cheated, and and she she won fair and square. Uh, it's not fair and square. I mean, she was the legitimate. She got the nomination. Legit. You could say cheating in the realm that the she cheated is the American way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. know, within the realm. Yeah, I don't know of, why we think the Democratic National Committee is going to be fair. You know. Well, this has been my joke about the Russians. Is the reason the American elites are so offended by Russia rigging the U.S. elections is because only the American elites allowed to rig American <laughs> elections. Uh, uh, so I mean, I guess within the scheme of how these elections go. Yeah. It was kind of a normal amount of rigging, but at any rate. Oh yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It, it was uh, relatively small. You know, all the stuff that we know of that came out in the in the emails that got uh, that got leaked to, uh, or that went on WikiLeaks. Yeah. And uh, but there was is some Debbie Wasserman Schultz got in big trouble and had to resign. And I think there was but some it evidence was, they, in they Michigan were, that there was. They were relatively. They were relatively small things. And look, Hillary got. Uh, she she won the nomination fair and square. She beat. Uh, Bernie Sanders, and you, if you want to go back and look at why that is, I mean, Sanders made a lot of mistakes too. You know, Sanders blundered all over the place. For example, uh, in the you know lead up to the elections, uh, Sanders put all of his energy in a handful of early states. He didn't. Uh, put anywhere near enough energy into campaigning in the South. He should have been a household name in the South. People didn't know who he was. And Hillary has been around, you know, since the 1990s. She's a familiar name, familiar face. 
Uh, and so he, he really didn't have uh, a chance. Uh, it, had he uh, defeated her in the first three, I forget, it, oh God, it's all so blurry now. But remember how Obama beat her very early on? He was trying to replicate all that uh, and do the same thing. And it didn't quite work out for him. And so he went on to ultimately to defeat. Uh, James on Facebook says, uh, asks, uh, given they, I mean corporate Democrats, have have the hold on the Democratic, I'm sorry, given they have the purse, how can the neoliberal hold on the Democratic Party be broken without some form of political revolution? Well, Sanders does show us that. I mean, Sanders shows us the way. And, and by the way, and I would add, to a certain degree, so does Trump. Because this, this election, now remember, this is something that we talked about last week. I don't know if it's aired yet or not, that the uh, rationale for the Clinton wing of the party and for everything that they've done, for the way that they've cast off what the Democratic Party used to be, for the way that they treat the left wing of the Democratic Party, uh, for the way that they, you know, they have sacrificed all of our issues, my issues, on the altar of money. And the rationale goes like this. We can't beat those dirty, evil Republicans are so dirty and demonic. I mean, Bob Dole, so sinister. We have to stop them. <laughs> I'm sorry, a little joke there. But they, they, the Republicans are so sinister and so evil. And the only way we can beat them is by matching them dollar for dollar in fundraising and campaign spending. And the only way we can do that is to jettison who we used to be. And so it all comes back to raising all this money and defeating the Republicans. Well. Hillary outraised Trump. She did it, man. She uh, she raised enough money. She mostly, outraised him two to one this time and lost. Mostly hedge fund money too. Yeah, and lost. And here's Bernie out there who did extremely well, extraordinarily well with small campaign donations. What all of this Clinton, the the, the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party, all of their rational, their reasoning, what they overlook is that the Democrats used to be outspent always always in the old days. And still, they often won. You look at Franklin Roosevelt, massively outspent all the time, as far as we know. I mean, it's very hard when you look back at those old elections. There's no transparency or anything like that. Massively, I know some of the elections that we do know about, like in 1896, we know a little bit about it. Uh, William Jennings Bryan was outspent something like 20 to 1, and he came damned close to beating McKinley. But uh, Roosevelt, like I said, outspent all the time. Truman, always outspent. Uh, you go right down the list. Uh, Democrats were always uh, outspent because they had a different strategy. Popular grassroots mobilization. The Republicans had the money. The Democrats had the numbers. They had the people. And unions them. that had some strength. Unions. Well, unions are the key they are the trump card. Sorry, I should never I'm say that. To use unions. that word anymore. <laughs> yeah, unions are obviously the key in that strategy from the 1930s up to the 1970s. But that's not really, um, I mean, that's not really part of the uh, democratic strategy. I mean, they they like unions and they they love it that unions come out and support them and do all the grassroots work on election day and all that sort of thing. But they have allowed unions to deteriorate. You know, they're a shadow of their former strength. I mean, I think partly going back to the first question, why attack Sanders in this book? I don't think anything has been such a threat to the corporate Democrats than the way Sanders raised money. Yeah. This party, and Republicans too, but it's not, they don't have quite the same problem with it. Democratic Party was never meant to be able to be financed through anything other than the elites. And the rules, everything, it's meant to look so open and democratic because you couldn't really take advantage of it without going to where the money is. 
Now Sanders has found another way to raise yep. money. Almost, yeah. he raised yeah. as much as she did. Yeah. And I think this terrifies her, them, her and that whole stratum, which includes Barack Obama. Yeah. And they need to start, you know, they're, yeah, they're getting ready for this year. war. It's a crazy election year. And, and, and just blaming Sanders for, for, for what happened is, uh, is so misguided. I mean, you, you think about what I mentioned earlier, Hillary outraising Trump. You think about the uh, newspaper endorsements. Have you ever looked at this? I, Trump got the endorsement of something like two <laughs> newspapers in America. I mean, this is like unprecedented. And she's winning wealthy counties all over America. I mean, the respectable opinion and respectable white collar America is behind her in this, like in the way that they used to be behind Republicans, like a William McKinley kind of figure. What the hell happened? How did this guy win? Uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm actually really excited to read um, the rest of Hillary's book, because I wonder what she has to say about this. This is just the, the most insane election, that, you know, in my lifetime. I've never seen something like this before. Everything is upside down and topsy-turvy. I thought Sanders was, uh, Sanders is a breath of sanity. Sanders was a, was a, was a, a you know, a, a dose of sweet reason compared to everything else that was going on. But you look back at why the media despised Sanders, and they objectively did. Remember, I wrote that story for Harper's Magazine about how the Washington Post viewed Sanders. And I read every editorial and op-ed that mentioned Bernie Sanders from January to June of 2016. And they were five to one against Bernie Sanders. They hated, ha hated this man. And it's a lot of the same stuff that you can hear Hillary rehashing. You know, it's not realistic. He's doing damage to the Democratic Party as a, you know, as an organism, as a, you know, this kind of thing. But uh, I think what it ultimately comes back to is that he is this figure from this past that they think is suppressed. He's a figure that they don't think they should have to listen to. Because they think to. it's naive. They don't think they should have to listen to someone like Bernie Sanders. It's, na it's not only naive, it's obsolete. This is, we've had this debate, and his side lost back in the 1980s and the 1990s. We don't have to listen to this again. Yeah, it's actually very similar to the way Obama and so talk, they treat them talk, with contempt. It's the way Obama talked about Reverend Wright. To talk about systemic racism, you're in the past. You're, yeah. You're By stuck the way, Obama the is a, a, a fascinating figure in this as well, because Obama also uh, achieved this uh, amazing upset and beat Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, in his own way and had that incredible popular movement behind him. And Sanders often spoke about how much he admired Obama's, you know, that was really the beginning of Sanders' strategy. I mean, I can't wait to see who, who takes it and, and, and runs with it next. The problem is, of course, Obama uh, ruled as a very different figure than the Obama that we saw campaigning. And we'll get, in we'll get into that in, in some future segments. Here, another question from YouTube. Uh, we kind of touched on this a bit in one of our interviews, but at any rate, um, this is from Don on YouTube. Does he think Bernie should continue to try to take the Dems back to the party of FDR or start a new party? And, and this is, let me just yeah. reframe it a little bit. Uh, an enormous resources will go into the Sanders campaign having this civil war with the Clinton corporate Democrats versus do you put all of that effort and momentum into a third party run? Yeah, we, well, we talked about this last week. There's huge uh, structural impediments to building a proper third party in this country. I love third parties. Uh, my, you know, what's the matter with Kansas is, a, a, you know, it's all based in my affection for populism, which was a movement in the 1890s, a political party that was built, unlike, um, say, a, a, a Ross Perot kind of party, was built from the grassroots up. 
And so it had, first they had uh, uh, state legislators, then they had members of Congress, then they had governors, and they did run a guy for president as a kind of afterthought. But it was a real party. And that has basically become uh, impossible to do. However, you can fight for control of one of the existing parties. And this is the story of, uh, this is, nobody remembers this anymore, but this is what, What's the Matter with Kansas, my book, this is what it's about, is a fight within the Republican Party in the state of Kansas, where the Republican Party actually got taken over by grassroots activists. I mean, grassroots activists for some of the worst causes, you know, some of the worst ideas you can imagine, but they took over the Republican Party from the, from the bottom up. And I would love to see that happen to the Democratic Party, and it can happen in San showed us exactly how it can happen, but I think uh, a third-party effort is uh, um, at this point with all of the structural uh, Like what are the structural uh, if, So the, what third parties used to do in the 19th century was uh, there's a tactic, that, an electoral tactic that they used all over the country called fusion. Um, and what this meant was that the uh, populists would uh, fuse with, in the north, in a state like Kansas, they would fuse with the Democrats, who are a tiny little part. Kansas is a Republican state. And in the south, uh, where populism was also big, they would fuse with the local Republican Party, because the southern states tended to be one-party Democratic states. And so you had, they would call themselves fusion candidates. And they won this way. This was a, a common strategy in the 19th century, and they, they won. They won all over, the, all over the place. Elected people to Congress, like I said. And this is illegal now. <laughs> There's no good reason for it. There's nothing in the Constitution. It's just the two, once populism died down, the two main parties got together in all of these states where it had happened and made that strategy, made that tactic illegal. So you well, can't do that anymore. Well, you look at the Ross Perot candidacy. Uh, he got into the debates, I think, on the whole. Uh, the media had to start covering him as a legitimate candidate. Uh, I mean, one of the arguments here is, is the media simply gets to decide this is a two-party system. And yeah, the that's whole, a big part of it, too, yes. But yeah. Perot was able to break through that because he just had enough dough. But now, all of a sudden, we see the kind of money Bernie Sanders could raise. Yeah. You know, you know is there not a Ross Perot kind of model that's not it, out of the question? It, yeah, it could happen, but it would just be at the presidential level. Yeah. It, it could happen. I think that's um, what they're talking about, presidential level. Yeah, yeah but, but uh, when I talk about a third party, I'd like to see... I mean, you need, you need challenges to this system. Uh, by the way, I mean, just to, 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 to rehash some of the stuff we talked about last week, third parties are essential for the health of a two-party system. I mean, this is just basic math. If you, if you are limited by law to just these two parties, they're going to engage in all kinds of, you know, sort of things that are predictable behavior, which you can predict with game theory, you know? <laughs> and they're going to come together in consensus on all sorts of issues where the public disagrees with them, which they do, by the way, on trade issues, for example, where they, or on um, budgetary issues, where the public disagrees profoundly with the consensus in Washington, D.C., but the consensus continues by a logic of its own because the two parties have come together and, you know, and this sort of thing. And that, that's kind of, this is a very predictable problem, and it needs to be smashed. You have to have a third party that comes in there like the Republicans did with the Whigs or like the populists did with the system in the 1890s and shake it up. And that has to happen every now and then. And we're in a kind of situation today where that needs to happen. Um, Unfortunately, I think that the, the, the way the system is set up now, the best bet for the Sanders movement is fighting within the Democratic Party. And I think they'll have a, play their cards right. They can have a lot of success in the Democratic Party. By the way, I have another theory for why um, sort of mainstream Dems were so contemptuous of the Sanders people. Because they just, it's the Sanders voters. 
these young idealistic people, a lot of college kids, they look at these people and they see McGovern voters from 1972, and they're like, oh no, you know, we're going to lose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not this again. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that was what was, they, nobody says that, but I think that's what's in the back of their mind. Uh, here's a question, uh, sort of what we've just been talking about. Can the Democratic Party be taken over with superdelegates in place? Uh, but yeah, there's, well, been, quite that's, a, but there's yeah. been quite a change on that. The, the, the rules on these things change all the time, so yes, it can. Uh, like I said, it, the, these things happen from the bottom up, and it can be done. Well, I think that the, in that Unity Commission and, and the reform of the Democratic Party, I think they've gone from something like 850 superdelegates to 250 yeah. that are free votes. The yeah. rest now have to vote with whoever actually won the state. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's, oh, that's very interesting. It's a pool of people that's, that can, But superdelegates yeah. come and go. I mean, that was all, uh, that was one of the many things that they did to make sure that a McGovern-type uh, candidate was never, you know, uh, and, uh, chosen Sanders again. was able to, get, I, I think, it seems like, I mean, I'm no expert in Democratic Party politics by, by a long shot, but that seemed like a significant reform. The, the, the power of superdelegates is greatly reduced from what it was. Yeah, now. that's good. That's yeah. healthy, I think. All right, let me see what else we got here. Um, can the organized labor movement be a valid power cent center in this pendulum, pendulum swing to the left in terms of a critical mass of leadership and so on? I mean, the problem there is most of the critical mass of the labor leadership ain't on the left. <laughs> well, some of them are, though. The, uh, some we, are. Some uh, are. Is there some really good people? I mean, organized labor, these are, these are, these are my friends. I, I speak to unions all the time. By the way, uh, you know, when you go into these union halls, they love Bernie Sanders. I mean, the rank and file, they love Bernie Sanders, and they know that he is like the one guy in the U.S. Senate that consistently takes their point of view. And uh, they were, uh, I mean, uh, unions are, yeah, if you ask me, I, of course that's, 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 that, that has to be where a, you know, a large part of the energy comes from because they, ha they do have power. Uh, and they do have the, you know, that's who funds the Democratic Party by and large, or a big part of the Democratic Party operations. Uh, but, you know, the Democratic Party really plays these guys. Uh, you know, and they string them along and they promise them all sorts of things. And uh, th th you talk about a group that is afraid of Republicans. I mean, organized labor, the leadership of organized labor anyway, is terrified of the Republican Party because these are, I mean, look at Scott Walker in Wisconsin. This is no joke. Uh, when these people get in charge, they, uh, they, they, you know, go on a union-busting spree like, like you've never seen. And so they are extremely, although they are on the left, as we all know, uh, they are extremely sensitive to, you know, to, to uh, the prospect of Republicans getting in. And so they will back someone like Hillary. Um, you know, even though their rank and file loves Bernie Sanders. Yeah, and there's all the winability, at least they thought so. Exactly. Well, that's right. They're, they're playing this, this pragmatic game, you better, know, that, did, that never works out for them. Yeah. Uh, the, you, you talk about a group that gets uh, abused, uh, ill-treated, I should say, by the Democratic Party. It's organized labor. I mean, this is, it, you know, this is just the story of what's happened to them is the saddest thing in the world, because this is, this is real, you know, economic democracy in this country. If you ever hang around with these people, this is like, th this is the the organized form through which average rank-and-file workers have a voice in, in the workplace. It's a wonderful thing. And um, 
if we could get organized labor to grow again in this country rather than shrink all the time, you would be converting people to the Democratic Party all over the place. And you would be converting, moving people uh, to the left. Uh, you know, this is this is a well-known phenomenon that as people, you know, they go from being a Trump voter to being something very different once they uh, join a labor union. So the Democratic Party should be encouraging this all the time, but they never do. You know, we know what the impediments well, are to, to union this, organizing. This last and election, a lot of union members voted for Trump. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Which and uh, uh, more than than have voted Republican in the past. Let's put it that way. But still, not a majority. I mean, but I, but I think there's significant polling to show that a lot of those Trump union Trump voters would have voted Sanders. Oh, of course, yeah. no question, uh, no question at all. But so the uh, well, look, Trump made an overt appeal to them. Trump. Trump did this deliberately. You know, I, 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 every now and then I look at Trump and you look at that, that face and, and you think, who is this dunce? You know, who is this guy? Is he a dunce or is he a genius? Because he certainly figured out the magic formula for how to defeat the Democratic Party. I mean, uh, peeling off votes of, you know, of, of working class people. And he did it, you know, uh, very deliberately, referring, we were gonna show this videotape. I don't know if you, if you were able to find this on YouTube. There's this, if you go back and watch Trump rallies from 2016, he loves to talk about this YouTube video that someone shot uh, in, a, um, uh, uh, in a carrier factory outside of Indianapolis. And it's, it's of a, a manager walks out to the, you know, calls all the workers together, walks out there onto the platform and tells them that they're all gonna lose their jobs, that they're moving the factory to Mexico. And the workers realize this, you know, this, is this awful moment of kind of silence and then they start yelling at him. You know, they start screaming at him and, and it's like, it's raw. It, the emotional power of this is, is overwhelming. And Trump made a point of talking about that, that video and those workers at, the, at that carrier factory <coughs> all the time in his campaign and, and blaming it on NAFTA and blaming it on, you know, and talking about how he would get those jobs back and, you know. But, it, but, but he did this deliberately. It, it, was, it was ingenious. But I've been in that uh, union local hall there's pictures of Sanders on the wall there. They love that guy. They love Bernie Sanders. As much as there's a, Hillary doesn't like a left critique from within the Democratic Party, there is also a left critique of Bernie Sanders. Uh, one of the key issues is on the health care proposal. Um, there's a critique that his health care proposal is to either allows for a public option. There's a lot of critique for this public option idea that it, it allows the big insurance companies to then cherry pick and stay in business, um, and that he's still too incremental in some of his proposals. Like some, uh, and I, I admit I'm a bit confused myself because I see sometimes he's proposing Medicare for all, but then I see him interviewed on CNN, and he mostly talks about fixing the Affordable Health Care Act first, yeah. and then so. It, yeah. Well, maybe he's. I don't know. Maybe he's being pragmatic. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know which. Uh, I, I thought he was for Medicare for all, but the, obviously the, uh, well, he certainly the immediate is for thing. It. I mean, he, he's also a U.S. senator, and he's probably talking about the you know the immediate things that they're tr working on right now. So, yeah, I, th I think it's in that realm. Uh, but there is some there is some issue is whether the but you got to have goals. You got to have goals, Paul. Yeah, well, this I'm, is uh, this is ponies are realizable. So. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to me how the the hard that was for so many Democratic Party uh, people to understand that you can yeah you have you have these you know you have these pragmatic steps toward the goal, but this is the goal. 
And it's, there's nothing wrong with saying this is the goal, you know, and we're going to get there eventually. Uh, you know, it'll take a long time, but we're going to get there. And the goal is universal health care. I think that makes perfect sense. Or uh, free public, you know, uh, universities. Uh, obviously, we're not going to get there immediately. Or breaking up the banks. That wasn't going to happen. You know, that's going to take a lot of doing, a lot of effort. Uh, you, you could do it if you had another bailout situation, but... The, uh, we have a question from, uh, uh, it's called Webmaster, he calls himself on YouTube. Uh, we urgently need to address climate change. What's the quickest way to get there? Uh, reforming the Democratic Party or starting a third party? Well, we kind of dealt with that. Uh, but, the, but the whole issue of climate change, it's still not front and center uh, yeah. in, in anybody's language. Yeah, no, that's right. That's I mean, right. Bernie's the strongest on it. And maybe he, I think he does understand you can't just talk about climate change if you want you know, the working class to get, understand the importance of climate change, you have to talk about all the immediate issues as yeah, well. Yeah, and you have to talk about the, I mean, it is actually, um, you know, the, well, we, we don't need to go into this now, but the idea of spent, the Green New Deal, which is one of those uh, great ideas back from 2008, um, you know, that would have been a wonderful thing when you're, you know, let's, let's pull this economy out with a massive public works program that's all organized around environmental issues. Oh, well. Which still seems to be the, it's a great the, idea, the only but, realistic proposal. Yeah. I mean, the only pony that could actually run fast enough to <laughs> save our ass here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, Liz Rainey on Facebook. Isn't the, power, isn't the power in our local elections first? Instead of top-down power from the DNC, local city and state governments can be changed faster than the deeply entrenched corporate Democrats sure. in Washington. That is totally for true. Yes. Shouldn't the left focus energy there? I, I th if you ask me, you focus on, on both things at once, of course. Look, there's a lot of good. It's not like uh, the, the, the left wing of the Democratic Party only has one guy, and it's Bernie Sanders. There's a whole lot of them, and there's a lot of really good Democrats out there, people that, are, that get 100% approval rating from me. You know, they get my stamp of approval. <laughs> but yes, you, 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 know, the, you need to work uh, at, the, at the local level, absolutely. And, and it's, it's hard work to take over a local party structure, but it can be done. I saw it done in Kansas in, in the Republican Party. And it's actually a fight being waged all over the country right now. Yeah. This yeah. is another reason for Clinton attacking Sanders in the book, is there's is a it, battle. There's, there's a war going on all over the place. Yep. It's not waiting for 2020. It's going on at every level of the Democratic Party, fighting for leadership right. and control of the organization at city, state levels, and so on. Okay, we're, we're going to continue our reality asserts itself conversation. Uh, so we're, uh, you'll see this, and then over the next few days, we'll be publishing every couple of days a new, a new segment of our conversation. So please join us for the continuation of reality asserts itself on the Real News Network.